Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 520, air date February 17th, 2020. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. Welcome to our Saturday Live. Oops, we're getting a little feedback. I'm just going to lower this. Um, anyway, welcome. This is Dr. Shiva Day. We're doing a live today. And by the way, I'm going to try to do lives around 10 a.m. every day because I've been getting a lot of good feedback. Um, what we're going to talk about today uh, is systems, uh, a little bit about Karl Marx, and which way would Karl Marx vote if he were alive today. And my thesis is he would go for Trump over Bernie. And so this is going to be somewhat of a uh, interesting discussion. You're going to quickly learn about systems. You know, I do a whole talk on systems uh, thinking. If you guys are interested in learning about that, you can go to, you know, um, uh, our website. By the way, I'm running for United States Senate, Shiva for Senate. Anyone who gives 25 bucks or more, you can learn system and revolution. There's a, a tool there that you also get uh, to how to understand your body as a system. You also get a bumper sticker. But I'm a big systems guy. You know, I have, uh, as you know, a bunch of degrees from MIT. But my real passion, including my PhDs in system science. So I look at the world as interconnected systems. And I've talked about that. You guys can go see videos about that, whether you look at the educational system as a system, the immune system, you know, the climate system. And when you start understanding things as systems, you can really start understanding truth and you can go beyond pro or anti and beyond left or right. This is really um, a very medieval way of uh, coming to truth or freedom or health. So uh, part of one of the essence of my campaign running for Senate is to really bring about this fact that we need to go to rational thinking, system thinking. So today we're going to ask that question. First of all, uh, which way would Marx vote? I've been a student of history, a student of science, a student of many things, a student of politics. I've obviously uh, read the works of be it Adam Smith, be it the uh, works of, you know, uh, Karl Marx, be it the works of you know, a whole range of things. And I think it's important for people to do this um, because otherwise you yourself can be taken advantage of by not really knowing what truth is. So we're going to really have a discourse, first of all, to share with you uh, my theory on, um, someone said, did you vote for Trump? Yes, I I voted for Trump. (laughs) Um, And I'll tell you why. Uh, by the way, I never voted in my life. I never really believed in the electoral process until uh, what I saw, the Trump phenomenon. I'll explain that too. But so let's, you're going to learn what is sort of what are the characteristics of systems and the relationships and properties. Then we're going to talk about what Karl Marx, in my opinion, his real contribution was as a social or a system scientist. And um, he obviously didn't get everything right. But he made some very interesting observations, Um, and uh, we have to respect that instead of just drawing this sort of, I'm uh, anti-Marx, I'm pro-Marx, etc. Because a lot of people who talk this way, in fact, most of the people who get Marx wrong are the Marxists, okay, including people like Bernie Sanders or Ocasio-Cortez, because they actually have actually uh, degenerated what Marx actually said, and they've used it to manipulate people. That's what they've really done. And then that's sort of the people on the quote-unquote left. And then the people on the quote-unquote right don't even bother reading Marx. And they just, in a reactive way, attack those people who use Marx, which they actually do exploit the work that he did. 
And, and that's the dialectics that's taking place. But let's start by, I'm going to start by sharing with you a simple diagram, which is this diagram I like to talk about systems, relationships, and properties. And what I mean by this is that if you look at any system in the world, your body, uh, a bridge, a computer, uh, that those systems have certain properties. And the relationships between the components in that system determine the properties of that system. All right. And by the way, um, again, you can go online and I've done a whole talk on systems uh, thinking. Uh, you can go study about it in System and Revolution. But the essence here is that you really have systems and a system is composed of a, of a connection of parts, right? interconnecting parts. So if you look at a watch, many gears interconnect your body, many different systems are interacting. How those, the relationships between those parts determine the properties of that system, okay? So if you're an engineer and you wanna build a very uh, strong bridge that can handle um, certain types of wind, you will make sure it's flexible, it's strong, you know, uh, um, and it has this flexibility as a property. So, so on. So another way of looking at this when, you, when we look at systems is to, oops, let me go here, is to understand that the relationship is the way in which two or more people or things are connected or the state of being connected. So those are the uh, aspects of a, the items in a system. So if you have a bunch of parts, how those things relate together. And then if you look at a property, a property is really an attribute, quality, or characteristic of something. All right, so here are some properties. So for example, if you are designing a system, um, you may want that system, for example, to be decentralized. You may want it to be entrepreneurial. You may want it to have freedom. You may want it to have inclu inclusivity. You may want it to be personalized. You may want it to be private. Um, and these properties define uh, the relationships of the components of that system. So let me, re uh, let me repeat that again. You. Uh, have a system, you want to design a system. Now nature designs its systems. We as human beings design systems. So you say, hey, what are the properties of that system I want? Well, I want that system to be very reliable. I want that system to be uh, have freedom. I want that system to have um, uh, the characteristics of decentralization. I don't want a central authority. I want it to be safe. I want it to be secure. Um, I want it to have balance of power. These are systems properties. And then based on that, you decide how to create the components of the system. And the founding fathers of America, for example, example created the three branches of government. Those were the components, the executive, legislative, and um, judicial. And they created those parts and the interrelationships to create a system to have certain properties. All right. And anyone can do this. If you're designing something, if you're sewing something, you're building a, a kitchen cabinet, uh, you're landscaping, you, you decide what the properties are and then you go figure out how you want to put the parts together to, to get that kind of um, system. All right. So that's the nature of it. Now, so you have systems, which are defined by their properties and the properties are defined by the relationships of the parts within that system. So let's talk about Karl Marx. Now, as I get into Karl Marx, you know, um, there are a lot of people, as I mentioned again, people who have actually talked about Karl Marx, most of them have not even read Das Kapital. Most of them have not even read any of his work. It's probably 10 steps removed from someone just speaking rhetoric about Marx. And that happens on the quote unquote right a lot. Then on the left, you have people who actually take elements of Marx and have exploited it um, using the words of workers' rights or we want to help the working people. And essentially, um, you're going to learn that what they're doing is a complete 
you know, degeneration of what Marx actually wrote. And we also have to understand that Marx did his work at a time when the Paris Commune had taken place. He was sitting in London. He didn't have access to computers. He didn't have access to the internet. He was in a very different kind of world. But in that world that he was in, he was looking back retrospectively. Um, you know, he spent about 30 years in the British Library and he was trying to assess the systems of human development, the relationships between humans and the properties of the kinds of systems we created. So let me repeat that again. Marx was very interested in the relationships between human beings. That's what he was fundamentally interested in. And how those relationships, um, the characters, characteristics, the properties of our interconnections gave rise to particular governance systems, particular economic systems. And uh, he was interested in understanding fundamentally relationships of the human being to other human beings and also the human being uh, to themselves. So that was really the contribution or the overview of what Mar uh, Karl Marx was really interested in. So it, one way of looking at it is Marx was interested in human beings who work to create labor and his thesis was that labor gives rise uh, to capital and that capital uh, should support that human being. So you have, and, and more specifically, he called that human who did labor a worker, okay, who produced capital. But labor in, the, in, in Marx and others have talked about this, other, uh, you know, Adam Smith talked about this, okay, you don't have to be, is that labor is what produces capital, okay? A capital is an asset, right? A, a carpenter comes through his labor, he creates a nice cabinet. Um, uh, a landscaper through their labor, they create a beautiful lawn. Or um, a plumber through their labor, they construct your plumbing system, right? But it is through labor, through the energy of your physical body and your mental uh, energies, and your creativity, you create this object, okay? And that object has value, which is called capital, because that object can be traded or sold. And a Marxist theory was that the interaction of work, the worker, the labor, and the capital, this process, and how this got created, and how it changed over time, uh, is what he was interested in, okay? So in, 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 in this thought, you know, when I look at it from a system standpoint, um, if we go back, so Marx was looking at the progression of human beings in their in their history of creating systems of production for our survival. So let me th repeat that again. Marx was interested in human beings, how we interrelated to create the systems of production for our own survival. So um, we how do we survive? Well, we survive by we have to get food, right? It's basic stuff. We need shelter. Uh, and we need some type of energy. But basically, you need food and you need shelter. Um, in an environment uh, that was the commons, right, which was the air, um, the physical land, the things that nature gave us. So in that environment, Marx was trying to understand how human beings interrelated to survive. Okay, so one of the first systems he observed uh, when we as human beings uh, started uh, working together was hunter-gatherer societies. In hunter-gatherer societies, uh, that was the system. The relationship Marx attributed in that system was what, what he called primitive communism. So um, in, in this world, uh, you know, each one of us had our own personal property, which means you owned your own shirt or your own um, whatever you had that you worked by your own labor that you got. 
Um, but there, but there was no ownership of private property, which means no one said, "I own this piece of land; it's mine," or "I own this waterway," or "I own, you know, uh, these eagles over here," or "I own the mountains." Okay, so that's what he meant. There was a difference between that property, which was the commons, which was air, water, and then the personal property. Someone made something with their own. You know, someone. Uh, uh, killed some bison and they made their own jacket. That's their personal property, okay? So there was this distinction, but there was no concept of, you know, the commons that people owned it. So for example, in many native cultures, a concept of owning the land, you know, didn't make any sense. You know, it was, it was, it was foreign, that concept. So that's what he, and, and the relationships of people were to work together and there was division of labor based on natural skills. So for example, obviously, if women were not as strong as men, they stayed at home, took the management of affairs of the village. Um, they uh, they gathered, they taught their children. The men went and hunted sometimes for days and they came back. So these were hunter-gatherer societies. It was typically communal. And interestingly enough, the organizational structure was matriarchal, okay, which means women, again, it wasn't someone was on top or someone was on bottom, but it was because women were in the village where the men went, went and hunted. It just made rational sense. It was matriarchy. The other interesting thing was was much more closely aligned in to nature because if you look at nature, this is going to sort of sound weird, but in nature, um, the lineage of any individual you can always trace it from the mother, right? Um, two lions mate, or maybe a, a lioness had multiple uh, inseminations from multiple partners, right? But you can definitely track the kid, the child, the cubs, to that mother. You don't know which. A male did it. So in this model, and by the way, in, in, in some of these societies, some of the evidence clearly shows there were polygynous societies, which means a woman had multiple mates, and then the children came, uh, were always matriarchal. So it's a very interesting point. It was much more connected to the earth, much more connected to nature. Okay, so that was the notion of, of these systems. Um, but this was one of the first systems Marx observed. Now, what Marx also talked about was that in these systems, when a new innovation came, what he called tools, tools of production. So in these systems, people were nomadic, right? They uh, moved, they were migrant uh, or uh, migrated, you know, as, as the weather came, they hunted, physically hunted animals, they gathered berries. There was really no pe people sort of farming or plows, etc. cetera, uh, but it was a hunter-gatherer model. And in that environment, you had primitive communism and matriarchy, that's how we survived. Okay, hope that's clear. So the next system Marx observed was there was some point, you know, in human history where people developed technology to say, wait a minute, why are we running around like this? Why don't we actually uh, take a plow, domesticate animals? These were technologies, so we're not running around being chased by saber-toothed tigers. Let's start finding a different, a different production system of survival. And that led to a very different system uh, of agriculture or farming. So now we are using the technology, human uh, technology to plow the land. We're using human technology to domesticate animals. So we don't have to be running around everywhere. But now you headed into a very different mode of production that was called agrarian or farming. And in that new system, a very different relationship evolved between human beings. It wasn't more primitive communism where it was a collective, but it was a little bit more of a top-down model. You had the king and the king essentially um, had uh, serfs, people worked, so the stronger guy would take a piece of land, he would own that piece of land because he, 
he could control it with physical force, and then other serfs worked for that king or that master, and about 30% of the land that they tilled or the, or the animals that they raised uh, went to the king. So it was a typically around 30, 50%. It depends on various societies, but this was a feudal model. And the, and the system of governor, governance was known as a monarchy, okay? So the properties were monarchy, top-down, the economic relationships was feudal between people, king and serf, and the system was agrarian farming, okay? But that entire system was onset by a technology, all right? That's the key point that we want to, plowing human ability to domesticate animals. And what Marx then observed was another transition took place with, again, innovation, with technology. And that was what Marx saw as a rise of the industrial society. So this was when we went beyond using physical labor to plow or animal labor. We actually, um, someone said sounds like communism. Uh, well, this is not yet communism. We'll come to that. But in this, uh, in this world, um, what Marx observed was that... Um, that when the steam engine came, when we started learning how to use energy in different ways, we were actually able to create, uh, instead of each one of us you know, uh, growing a tomato and each one of us eating that tomato, um, when technology came, like the steam engine, the ability to build factories, people said, oh, let's have one group of people growing the tomatoes. The other group of people will send it to a factory, transport people. The other group of people will can it. And then we'll sell lots of tomatoes. So you're not growing your own. You just go buy some canned tomatoes, okay? And this was the aspect of industrialization. Again, it came from a fundamental change, which was technology was a change. And it changed the relationships between human beings. So now you had the worker and the capitalist. The capitalist owned the capital, like the factory. Okay, they owned uh, resources. And then those resources were utilized uh, in a way that workers worked in that factory to generate um, additional capital, which was then sold. And the difference between the worker's wage and the actual revenue, uh, for example, that was caught was called profit by and large. And that went back into the ownership of the capitalists. And this was called surplus value. So the bottom line is that technology changed this system. The relationships went no longer from king to serf, but to the capitalist who owned the factory to workers, and Marx called that wage slavery. And the governance system, you'll see, was democracy, but Marx called it bourgeois democracy, which means we had to give these people a little bit of rights, so we went away from the king telling everyone what to do, that we started having legislatures, senates, and houses, and congress. So the peasants were now became workers, but they were given a little more rights. So we went from primitive communism to this mode of serfdom, and now you were given the right to vote, um, at varying levels, okay? So this is what Marx observed. And the next thing Marx observed was that he felt, and this was, you know, there's a lot of controversy here. Marx felt at some point that this system of governance uh, would also change. Some new technologies would come and that would change the relationships between people. And we would go towards this thing he called socialism and workers' governance, okay? And and we'll get back to that. But that's just a background on, on what what Marx actually did. He was looking at, again, the relationships of objects and, and, and systems and trying to understand them. And then he was trying to project from the 1800s into the future. And just to let you know, um, uh, Marx, for example, communicated with Abraham Lincoln. He thought that what Lincoln did, um, uh, what Lincoln did was quite uh, extraordinary 
in freeing the slaves, that it essentially gave more workers rights, and he actually wrote a letter to Lincoln. And if you read some of Lincoln's writings, it was clear that Lincoln was likely reading the Tribune, um, uh, which was a newspaper which Marx actually contributed to in the United States. So clearly the, the mid-1800s, late 1800s were a time of the concept of workers, the concept of the creative, creation, that labor meant a lot, uh, and labor created capital. In fact, Lincoln used those words. So uh, Marx actually had some praise for Lincoln. So the point is that the notion of labor and capital, this was being very discussed. So let's go back to here. So what? why do I say that, um, let's talk about my thesis, why why uh, Karl Marx would have voted um, would have voted for uh, for Trump. So let's begin. So let's look at it in the simple diagram. You have the state. So what we have today is we have the state, which is a, uh, the bureaucracy that has been created to run, um, you know, government. And you also have the owners of capital, which means people own the factories, the buildings, the uh, so the Jeff Bezos's, the Zuckermans. Uh, the Bill Gates, you know, the owner, you know, people actually own factories and that's what we call the owners of capital, physical assets. Everyone here owns some amount of capital, but we're talking about uh, people own, let's say, the Fortune 1000 companies, okay? So if you look at the state and the owners of capital, here are the workers. So the dynamics are, um, uh, how do you modulate this for human freedom? Now, in, in one theory... Uh, in Marxist theory, the owners of capital actually were privatizing the commons. And this is something, and that's what he called private property, okay? For example, people are owning waterways, or people are owning mountains, or people are owning, you know, the internet. Uh, anything that you could start looking at is what human beings at that point in history need to actually for their own survival. So roads, you know, it's it's clear most of us need the use of the public roads, um, those are actually owned by the state or all of us in some ways own it. The postal system is something, and it's a quasi system where we own. But when you look at things like the internet, we'll come back to it. Uh, Marx would probably argue this is a private property uh, uh, and it should not be owned by a few individuals. That, it, that there are certain systems that should be part of the commons. So if you go back to the time of the hunter-gatherers, there were certain things that it was just agreed, you know, like the mountains, the lakes, the rivers, these were the air. We we all own that. It's not something you even own, and it should not be privatized. So today, uh, the owners of capital actually own private property, and this should be distinguished in, in, in Marx's view of workers who own personal property. This does not mean someone's going to take away, you, you know, your um, you know your iPad that you you bought, you worked for, or your shirt that you you know put together. So there was this notion that. The goal was working people, whatever they produce, including something that they make on their own, do on their own, that is theirs. That's personal property. And even in Marx's view, that should not be taken away. But what he was concerned about was the commons being taken away. So if you talk to a guy like Bernie Sanders, so let's get into this. In my view, um, uh, what Bernie Sanders wants, let me go here. Bernie Sanders actually wants to have the state become the owners of capital, Okay. So this is not what Karl Marx talked about, okay? Um, Bernie actually wants to meld the state and the state should own, in Bernie's view, this, if the state owns all of the major companies in the world, let's say imagine the Fortune 1000 companies 
and the state merged. And the state, so the government bureaucracy became really big and all of General Motors, all of Facebook, all of Google, all of these guys just merged in with the state and Bernie could run them um, and the legislators could run them. This is what, what um, this is the view of Bernie, okay? Um, someone just asked, what happened to my talk about digital privacy? We're going to do that uh, later this afternoon. I'm going to do a whole drawing on it. But the point is, this is Bernie's view. So you have a massive state and they own capital. So in many ways, what Bernie and the Democratic Socialists of America, Ocasio-Cortez are talking about, has nothing to do with Karl Marx was talking about. In fact, Karl Marx was talking about of the withering away of the state. He actually wanted working people to rise up, demolish the state bureaucracy, and that the state should wither away. Okay, there should be no state. In, in Marx's view, it looked more like this, okay? You have the commons, which is shared uh, things that we all need, air, highways, maybe even the internet, okay? Uh, that it should not be owned by a few people, but the common things. Working people own what they produce. So if I'm an entrepreneur and I make something, it's mine. So the concept of going back to small is beautiful, decentralized, people having ownership of what they produce and not other people owning everything that we produce, okay? And the notion was that there was supposed to be a commons that was owned by, that shouldn't even be owned. It shouldn't even be a property, if that makes sense, okay? So the air shouldn't be owned by, you know, Exxon, or the waterway should not be owned by somebody else. That there are natural resources um, or, or things that are systemically used by all of us, which should be the commons, all right? So this is what Marx was saying. Now, what is Trump saying? Well, if you look at what Trump is saying, he's, he's talking about this, but in many ways you could argue that the typical opposing view that the owners of, we should have a smaller state and that the owners of capital maybe have relationships with that state through lobbyists, et cetera. But you make the state smaller, but the owners of capital own it. And I, if you want to give Trump credit, I think what Trump would probably want, let me go here, would probably a smaller state. And he's trying to, one of the reasons that I was attracted to Trump was he was throwing bombs at both sides. He was many ways a disruptor coming in wanting to change the dynamics that was really going on, that we had created a massive state, we had created lobbyists who were very close with the state, and that relationship was creating, it was, you know, even if you look at this model, you still have people like Google and Facebook and Amazons who are owning uh, portions of the state. And in many ways, I think what Trump wanted to do was separate this, have a smaller state, and uh, he may, I'm not sure, he may want large owners of capital, but one thing we do know is Trump wants, uh, he has done in many ways, he has stood up for the American worker. Uh, you can take it as a nationalist perspective, but he has at least voiced concerns of the American workers' rights being lost as their jobs get transitioned to big globalist capitalist companies. So in a fundamental way, what Trump is looking at or what, if you looked at this concept, this is what Marx would want, decentralize, devolution of power to workers, which means more, and workers, by the way, uh, just to define what a worker is, this is where Bernie and the people who adulterate what Marx actually said get it wrong. In the world of Marx, a worker was someone who used their labor to create capital, right? So they actually worked for a living. They weren't parasites. They weren't, um, a, a term that Marx used was called lumpen proletariat. So proletariats were people actually 
use their their skills, mind, brain, spirit to make things and to produce capital. He had another term called lumpen proletariats, people who were the criminals who lived off, let's say, welfare, who were parasites living off other people. He called them lumpen proletariats, but he never considered them workers. All right. Now, Bernie considers those people workers. This is where we call it an adulteration of what Marx actually said. But in in the world, in 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 the in the thing that Marx was looking at, it was it was had features of decentralization, devolution of power, and the goal was to get the state out of people's lives. It was a value of, of an individual's labor and an individual to pursue their dream. So, if people actually have the time to go read Das Kapital. Uh, in some ways, it's very reminiscent of what the founders of this country were talking about. In classic, true classic liberalism, you have the individual, you have that individual's dreams, and the goal was to eliminate barriers so the individual could pursue their dreams. And in Marx's view, the state was essentially serving the interests of capital. Okay, so if we go back to this, so, so of, of capital. So, so what... Bernie wants to do, he's in many ways, he's really a, a really screwed up, inefficient global capitalist. Okay. He wants the state, um, he wants the state to be completely involved in owning all capital. Someone said Marx is irrelevant. We can focus on new modern ideas. Well, Marx is still relevant because the quote unquote right in this country does not know how to oppose the quote unquote left. And the reason they don't know how to oppose that is because A, they haven't read Marx, and B, they don't really understand the central thesis here. The central thesis here is even in, in the vision of Marx, a state is supposed to wither away. Bernie wants a state to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and he simply wants to merge that with the owners of capital. So that's what I want to really have you think about. Trump at least wants to blow up the state. He has a, you know, he wants to get eliminate a bureaucracy. In many ways, that's a good disruption. Um, for working people because it's saying that we don't want the state involved in our lives and it gets back to the classic sense of not only Marx but class, true classic liberalism. Decentralization, devolution of power so people actually do work, the producers, and the ability for individuals to pursue their dreams. So this is what, uh, so that's why I believe if if uh, uh, um, uh, Marx were alive today, he would definitely uh, support uh, someone like Trump, because at least Trump wants to minimize the size of the state. Now, he may want huge capitalists. Um, he's also made comments against huge Wall Street, right? The Democrats um, definitely want huge state. They may want a form of it. But at least Trump, I, I would argue that Marx would be, uh, if he had a choice, he would say, wow, this guy is actually coming out against both of these institutions, they he, at least he came out against their typical establishment Republicans, establishment Democrats, who both wanted the swamp or the big state, and he wants to reduce the state. Obviously, Marx is, uh, Trump is not a Marxist by any means. But I think the important thing to understand is that this is, you know, I think from a, a larger view of um, what Marx was talking about. Uh, workers, decentralized, there is a commons, uh, the roads, the internet, water, etc. So anyway... I hope that helps. So that's why I believe fundamentally because of the decentralization issue, because of, you know, getting the state out of people's lives, which is uh, classic sort of Marxism, classic liberalism. Um, that's what, uh, that's why Karl Marx would vote for Trump. Let's take some questions. Um, someone is saying here, Dems are the party of special interest, big farm on war. 
the Dems today are lost cause. Look, the Democratic Party is basically a party which wants to massively increase the state. So if you go back to, let me go back to this diagram, a simple way to remember it is the, st the Democratic Party uh, believes in this, right? They believe a big state involved in all aspects of your lives. Um, someone said, uh, don't shoosh me. I don't like him either, but I'm interested in his theory. Sorry, did or know your reading. Uh, not a libertarian. That's a race to chaos. Marx would not have liked USSR either. Exactly. Um, someone said, read Marx's biography, Total Loser. Look, you can attack people personally. That's not what this is about. You know, we're not talking about uh, Isaac Newton. Some people thought he was a complete, uh, you know, treated people wrong. That's a personal issue. And same with Einstein. We're talking about the scientific works that they produce. And that's what we're here to talk about. And that's what I'm here to educate you about. But the bottom line is um, uh, the Democrats actually want to, the state to be massive to tell you what to do, the slight difference between the established, uh, 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 not the slight, but a fundamental philosophical difference is that the original concept of republicanism is a smaller state to devolve power back to the people. And in that sense, that's much more closer to the concept of classic liberalism or at least towards a withering away of the state. And that's what I wanna arm you guys with. Bernie by no means is a Marxist. He's, of any way, a state capitalist, a state global capitalist. He wants to make probably the most bureaucratic form of capitalism. That is what Bernie wants to do. Someone says blockchains will help. Uh, yeah, so, so it's a good thing. So technologies like blockchain may be just like the plow, may be like the steam engine. They may, in fact, help. Look, Marx couldn't predict all this stuff. They may actually help us to go to this kind of model where we can decentralize, we have the commons, and we have true, you know, true, quote unquote, capitalism, where each one of us is rewarded for what we produce, okay? Uh, how do we wrest power from the oligarchs? That's a question. Well, it's a great question. Um, and this is where the fundamental difference comes in between the fake Marxists and what you would call the classic Marxist um, and the people who sort of adulterate Marxism. So the, the fake Marxists believe that you can do this. Let me go back to this diagram. The fake Marxists believe the way out of this, that to steer power away from the oligarchs is to make the state bigger, that you actually have government take over Ford and all the big industries. This is nothing to do with Marxism. This is state capitalism. This is what the Chinese government has. The Chinese government is state capitalist. Imagine taking all the government taking the 1,000 CEOs of all the major countries, uh, companies and merging them together. Um, um, so that's, um, that, is what, that is what Bernie and the Democrats, they want to do. They want to create a very inefficient, uh, bureaucratic form of capitalism, autocratic top-down rule. All right, so how do you wrest power away? In Marx's view, he felt that, again, let me go back to this, that working people, working people, which means people, you and I, who actually work for a living, we get to make things, that we would actually have to rise up and demolish the state. That in particular, he was very uh, specific about this, that working people have to rise up and actually own the means of production, which means people who work. Again, big, big difference from what Bernie and Ocasio-Cortez, which means uh, all of us who are working every day, instead of paying 50, 60% taxes, why are we doing that? 
that working people should actually own the means of production. Again, working people. And one of the key tenets of this uh, thesis here is that he who does not work shall not eat. In fact, it comes from the Bible. This was not going to be a free ride. If you worked and you produced, you got stuff. And that value system was what was supposed to run. And the state was supposed to be diminished significantly. But it would need, in Marx's view, a revolution and a significant disruption. Now, I would argue this is why I believe if Marx was alive today, he would su support Trump because Trump's winning in some ways was quite revolutionary because the establishment Democrats and the establishment Republicans did not expect someone like him because he was attacking both of them. He went after the state. He went after the swamp. In some ways, we're at an inflection point where the Trump phenomenon has jolted the establishment. Which way it goes, we, don't, we won't know. But in, in Marx, Marx's view, you act to actually have an armed revolution against the state. The view of the Democrat socialists or the Bernies is they don't actually want to get rid of the state, okay? This is where we need to understand they actually want the state to simply own everything and nationalize things. It's like the old boss becomes a new boss. And so this is completely not Marxist by any means. And so that's what we need to understand. Um, in the works of Lenin, if people have the chance to read State and Revolution, we can talk about Lenin another day. Um, but Lenin made this distinction that the people like Bernie and what he called the Mensheviks actually wanted to make the state bigger. They actually wanted to have a cozy relationship with huge government versus actually to overthrow it. So um, the next question is, what will AI do to labor? Very, very powerful. That's a great question, okay? Phenomenal question. Um, what will AI do? Uh, uh, some, okay, so someone's. So let's let's talk about that. Uh, what will what will um, AI do? So look, AI is a new tool. Okay, the trajectory of where it goes, we do not know. But we do know whenever new tools have come, that it has rearranged. So when the plow came, we went from hunter-gatherer societies to feudal societies because we, we didn't have to travel around, right? We could stay in one area and process and produce food. When the steam engine came and boats came and airplanes, we could now travel around. That really gave rise to entrepreneurialism. And by the way, Marx had a huge, huge regard and he was very praiseworthy of capitalism. He said, capitalism has done more for humanity than all the other systems could have, all the things that it could it's created. So he knew he had a blind spot in creating where it could go. But he also knew that the consolidation of capital by a few people, Jeff Bezos, Zuckerberg, the Google people, would not help the advancement of humanity. That was a consolidation of global capitalism. That was a very interesting observation he made. But relative to AI, uh, one of the mistakes Marx made was Marx thought that, and this is, and I don't think he could have seen this, that he felt we would move away. Like, you know, in those days, the, the worker was, um, uh, you know, on the assembly line. In many ways, uh, my view is that was already AI. Let me explain what I mean. If you had everyone functionally, let's say for the iPhone, there's a million different parts, and let's say you have different people specialize in each piece, that manufacturing line is some ways AI done by humans, carbon-based beings. Now, to replace one part of that, you could call that AI you're replacing with a silicon-based creature, you know, like a robot. But the day we created the manufacturing line and we tried to dumb down an individual human, take away their creativity and just make them doing one part at a time, in some ways that is artificial intelligence because you're taking away the natural creativity of people. And Adam Smith and Marx both talked about how demeaning this was to the human beings, soul, because you were 
taking away that human being's connection to their labor, okay? Now, when AI comes, it's an interesting thing. The issue is, who controls AI? Is AI going to be controlled by Jeff Bezos and, and Zuckerberg, or is it going to be controlled by we the people? So is are we going to use AI to free ourselves from certain types of work so all of us can do really creative stuff? Like, uh, we can pass on a lot of the dumb things we have to do. Who wants to, um, you know, sanitation workers do a lot of work. They have to get up in the morning. Maybe, well, someone is a sanitation worker because they didn't have a choice. Someone may want to do it. But if you could offset a lot of that kind of labor and now people can pursue what they actually want to do. So the, one of the tenets of Marx was that the individual human and the work that they produce should be not disconnected. So if I am a sculptor and I produce something, imagine having to sell my art and I never see it again. This is what he call, caused a disconnection of the labor and the human being. So if we can, so there's a lot of stuff we need to do to survive. Now, if that can be offset to AI, and we now can all pursue dreams, we may create a society we have no idea of. I can't even predict it. I'm not here to do that. But this was one of the fundamental uh, concepts Marx was trying to bring that we may create a very different kind of world that it's unimaginable. Uh, next question we have that Sarah just sent here. Let me look at it. Uh, it says, the run is hard to grow the commons goods without an all-powerful state. Free trade won't allow it, and that's good. I don't believe uh, it is a view of Bernie for the government to own all corporations, and I don't believe the owners of capital will ever do the right thing by the masses. Bernie wants the people to have a say in the programs that are benefited them. I, I really must disagree. Okay, so that was April, April Har Blandin. So let's talk about that. This is a very, very important question that April's bringing up. So you have the, what I call the people who use the words of we want a revolution, you know, Bernie, okay? Well, what did Bernie do last election? He gave all of his votes to Hillary Clinton. I had a lot of friends calling me last election saying, you should vote for Bernie. I said, look, he's going to do exactly what Jesse Jackson did. He's going to talk a lot of rhetoric, and then he's going to use, uh, give all of his votes to the establishment. That is the purpose of people like Bernie, Ocasio-Cortez. They talk a good game, but they actually want to grow the state, and at the last minute, they give power back to the establishment. So to April, I just have to ask you a very simple, this is a simple litmus test, April. Uh, it's very simple. If Bernie was so much against the state and so much against corporations, why did he give all of his votes to Hillary Clinton, who is completely part of the establishment, part of the global capitalist elite? And you can't excuse that question. This is what the Bernie supporters and the so-called DSA do. They always come up with an excuse. Bernie Sanders is part of, of the global capitalist establishment, he ultimately gave all of his votes, a so-called movement, to Hillary Clinton. That's what happened. So there's nothing really here to argue about. You can just look at his actions. Next question is, I'm with you on the vaccine issue, but not your opinion about the progressive movement. It is not a free ride, a hand out, a hand up, not a hand. We want a level playing field. What about if you bring less control to the state? That's a great question. So April, that's a really cool question, okay? so. I think ultimately, I think we can all agree and tell me if uh, I'll put this up there. I think probably everyone on this saying, whether you're left or right, will agree that we all share that there should be a, a public commons. Uh, I think everyone will agree that Facebook and Google and three telco companies should not be owning the entire Internet. That's what's happened. That is what the other side of global capitalism does, what Marx talks about, consolidation of power, immense power, technological power in a few. Now, 
There is an organization with the founders of this country set up, which was supposed to control the public commons of communication that was known as the U.S. Postal Service. And they're not doing their job. That was supposed to be part of this commons. If the Postal Service did its job and actually offered the public commons for all of us, then we would actually not even have to have this discussion because we would not be all be thrown off Facebook, uh, people whose views aren't thing, that there would be a public commons of communication. So their founders and their wisdom actually had an idea um, to have this commons for communication. So the issue is, how do we get there? And from a, this is where the big controversy comes in. A Marx or the Marxist revolutionary tradition argues that you need to have a mass movement it's not going to come through an electoral process, and it doesn't mean it needs to be violent, but that you need to have enough people rising up. It could be labor strikes, it could be, but it could be mass movements of people, and through that mass movement is how you actually get the commons that we all want and deserve and right and de devolve power back to the workers. So the question has been the uh, development of a movement. Now, Bernie, the fact that he gave his votes to Hillary Clinton to me says he's not a revolutionary, okay? He's uh, part of the establishment. The guy's frankly never worked in his life. Um, he himself has not been a producer of any type of labor. In this model, governance was also to be by the people for the people. Working people participate in governance, not people like Bernie who couch surf most of his life. Let's take the next question. Um, Bernie's for mandatory vaccines. He believes the state knows better. I talked to the people in his campaign. I can send you the screenshots. Bernie's for forced vaccinations. There you go, okay? Bernie Sanders is for forced vaccinations. This gets back to what he's really all about. This is like the Chinese government. This is where the state and and the, and the you know, pharma companies all come together. So Bernie, I repeat, um, you should wake up. This is what Bernie wants. Bernie wants the state, which is him, and the government that he wants to bring, and all the pharma companies all getting together in the CDC and force vaccinating everyone. This is has nothing to do with Karl Marx. At least, um, you know, Trump has said he has some reservations about vaccines. In the Bernie world, in the state top-down model, the state will tell you what to do, period. And that is what Bernie Sanders wants. Let's look at whatever, what else we got. Um, a lot of good questions here. Um, Bernie said he thinks it's it's a good thing when people line up for bread. <laughs> there is a Democratic bill in Congress right now for mandatory vaccination for school kids. Um, let's see. We have the tech and insights for new market structures, co-ops, shareholder schemes, digital voting. Yeah. So this is great. I am for USA. Look, we're at an, we have an opportunity in this world to create a golden age if we want to. If you follow the systems analysis that Marx did, that we went from hunter-gatherer then to feudal and then to industrial, that it is new innovations that can devolve power. It's not going to be uh, devolve power back to people. And it could be technologies like blockchain. It could be the digital world. But the issue is who owns the actual foundation? And this is what I've been talking about. We need digital rights before we can even get there. Who owns the internet? Well, it's three major, four major telco companies. Who owns their on-ramps to the internet? Well, Google and Facebook. And I cannot implore on you that the real change is going to come from when we, the people, own. That's like owning air. So this is what I'm talking about, the commons. And I, I, I believe it if, if the, so we have right now, when it comes to big tech censorship, 
You have the left, which wants to censor people because Google and Facebook are pretty much the state, part of the state. They want to do that. And you have the right, which says we need to regulate them. And I've been saying the only prudent solution is we need a digital rights act and the postal service needs to create the commons. That's what they need to do, okay? And I'm not sure. I've shared this with the Trump administration with a number of people. They should call me because I know how to set it up and deploy it. Um, there have been new innovations, but they get squelched. That's true. Congress has allowed corruption. Corporations hijack our internet. Absolutely true. Lawful America is working hard to bring back common law. Rise of the people. Excellent. Bernie already advanced that even if he doesn't end up being the candidate, he'll support whoever. Exactly. So let's look at what Roxy says. So that's what, you're, that's what I'm talking about. Bernie Sanders. Look, I have a lot of friends, um, you know, who are Democrats. They say, look, Bernie, all this spiel he talks about, the revolution, he's like what, you, what, what people would call a Menshevik, okay? He uses the words revolution, change, but he is part of the the Democratic Party establishment. This is all just bullshit that Bernie's doing. At the end of the day, he's going to support whoever the candidate is. He's part of the system. He is not for actually something like this. He's actually for something like this. I keep saying this, and this is what everyone needs to get. Uh, this is why at least Trump wants to go after the swamp. He wants to obliterate the swamp. <laughs> and that is far better, far towards something you could tell that Marx was interested in getting rid of the state than what Bernie wants to do. Bernie wants to grow the state. So um, basically, we're dealing with a bunch of fake Marxists. I like socialism as long as it's national socialism. Okay. Um, someone says, hmm, all right. Uh, so anyway, what I what I ask you guys to do is, you know, people should actually go read. I mean, this is, we, we live in a point now in history where people actually don't go to the primary sources and read stuff. And it's a lazy way of being when so much of this stuff is now accessible and we can have discourse and discussion and learn things. But I've been, you know, I'm a, you know, I've been, I'm, I'm a serious nerd in some ways. I, I study this stuff, be it studying the immune system, be it studying engineering. You know, I have a pretty uh, range of skills, a pretty big knowledge stack, and I want to share it with everyone. But I can share with you that you got to put Marx in what Marx was. There was things he didn't get right. He didn't understand. He, he had no idea of the internet and machines and these kinds of things. But he did make some very compelling observations about capital and labor and the relationships. Um, and those are valuable things. You can't attack the Wright brothers because they didn't build a Boeing 747, but they did figure out Bernoulli's principle, you know, to get that plane off the ground for, you know, whatever, 11 uh, seconds or whatever. So I think this is how I want you guys to, what, what I want you guys to take away and to look at these things in an objective way. And, uh, you know, I'm running for U.S. Senate. And one of the most important things that we want to bring to the country and the world is that we, we need to move beyond the pro and the anti. That when you start understanding systems, you can actually pinpoint what the real solution is. So when you look at this conversation, Trump or Bernie, when you look at it from the systems viewpoint, you realize that do we want the state telling the individual what to do? And what is the relation between the state and the products that an individual creates? So I, as an entrepreneur, go create something, okay? There's someone else who's not working at all. Someone else is just sitting there, not doing any work. And today we have a situation that three out of five days that I'm actually working, I'm funding people who are not working. And the state is mandating that. Now what Bernie wants to do, he wants the state, his solution is to merge with all the big global capitalists and then even mandate that even more. 
So what does that do? That fundamentally removes my incentive, my separation from my labor. And this was not what Marx was about. Marx was about the individual pursuing their dreams and having a connection to their labor. That the, the worker, the producer, should be connected to the fruits of their labor. That's what Marx was fundamentally talking about, which is what Adam Smith was talking about. It's classic liberalism. And so we need to get away from this uh, nonsense we see a lot uh, on both sides. So let's, here's another one. Uh, he would void, uh, Bernie also believes climate change and promotes a BS. Exactly. That's Carolina Helsifon and Menshevik. Uh, it's not being a nerd. Knowledge is power. Exactly. So, um, uh, um, you look at climate change, you look at any issue on the, uh, on the world today, uh, instead of ever solving the real problem, the Mensheviks or the Bernies or the Ocasio-Cortez, the Ed Markey's, the Kennedy's include, you know, from, I'm not talking about, J I'm a JFK Republican in event anything, John F. Kennedy. I'm talking about from the Ted Kennedy clan on down. These people always believe the state should be involved in everything. They should be governing your life. Okay. And therefore, they do not want to address. So in climate change, you can see my video that I did. The real issue is we want to all lower pollution. I think everyone on this video will agree. We all agree to lower pollution. I think everyone would agree. We all want freedom. You know, we want this. We want certain things that we all can use, but we want the government to get the hell out of the way. Notice there's no state here. There is no state. There's a set of public commons. We own our thing. We all can agree that we want to lower pollution. We all can agree we want security. It's not about pro-Second Amendment, anti-Second Amendment. We all can agree that there are some foundational things here in terms of how human beings should live. But when we, if and, and the fundamental issue is how much a state is involved in our lives. The fake problems and the fake solutions always end up the state taxing us more, the working people, people who actually work, not the lumpens, and then constraining our freedom. That is a solution of the inefficient model of the Democratic Party. Now, the Republican establishment actually supports that in a different way. They believe in the swamp and lobbyism. And Trump came and he threw a bunch of bombs against the swamp. And that's a good thing. Let's see what else questions we have. About 10 minutes left. And then we'll stop. Let's see here. I want bigger government for the people. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. Um, let's see what else we have here. Anything else? All right, Sarah, is there any other questions you got from there, uh, that end? I want bigger, oh, there has not been a plan shown for when Bernie runs out of money. Yep. A farming, industrial capitalist. I learned Shiva, always grateful for your chats. What do you think about Bernie Sanders' statement from Judy Stroer? I'm not sure what he said. Great stream, Dr. Shiva. They follow blindly, remaining, etc. Anyway, uh, I'm going to wrap up. But what I want to share with you guys is everyone on this call, you know, we are running for U.S. Senate. Um, I'm an inventor and a scientist. I actually work for a living. Uh, you can go to my website, VA Shiva, if you want to see all the things that I'm currently doing, VA, V as in Victor A. Shiva.com. You should go to Shiva for Senate. If you give me money, I don't, I don't just take it. I believe I should give you back something. That's you, because I know you've worked hard. 
So if you go to Shiva for Senate, if you donate 25 or more, you get a copy of System and Revolution. I actually have created a tool with my own ingenuity, with my own engineering skills, a product called Your Body, Your System. It's a software which will actually teach you how your body is a system. And then you also get a bumper sticker. Um, so support our campaign because I believe you need working people like me in governance, not career politicians because those people are essentially the state. It's the same old people. By the way, I'm running against two guys. One guy's called Ed Markey. Ed Markey is a leech. He's been in government for 50 years. He stands next to Ocasio-Cortez, supports the Green New Deal. And the other leech is Joe Kennedy, who is, you know, he's no JFK. He's, if anything, like Ted Kennedy, right? Uh, Joe Kennedy's only 39 years old, already has $40 million inheritance. His entire life has been planned for him. And the establishment would like... Uh, Nothing more than Joe Kennedy against me. So isn't it time that we had one of you in government, everyday working people? And uh, that is what we're looking at in, in the 2020 Senate election. So let's take one. Bernie talking about insurance, not health care. We don't want their state run. Exactly. So in closing, I'm going to do a whole nother thing on health care. You can see what I did before. But Bernie Sanders and the entire Obamacare has nothing to do with health. Health is about you increasing your immune health. It's food is medicine. Good, clean air, clean water, clean food. Bernie, by the way, if you go see the movie that I'm the main scientist in Poisoning Paradise, Bernie has taken money from Big Ag, okay? He is part of the establishment. Again, do not let words fool you. Look at his actions. He voted for Hillary Clinton. He gave all of his votes to Hillary Clinton. He has not worked anything. I don't know what the guy's ever produced, okay? So you need to look at who is working and who is not. Is Joe Kennedy ever worked where he earned something? No. Ed Markey, no. You're looking at someone. I grew up as a working class kid in New Jersey. I've worked all my life. You've worked all your life. Isn't it time you had working people in governance? And I only want to serve one term, not people who are leeches and parasites, Bernie Sanders, Joe Kennedy, Ed Markey. Look, I don't know uh, President Trump personally, but I can tell you, you go look at a building, you go to any of his hotels, you go to any of his things at his restaurants. You know, it takes a lot to run an organization. It takes a lot to serve customers. I've served customers, entrepreneurs serve customers. So anyway, I want to thank everyone. I hope this was valuable. We'll be doing a, another live tomorrow uh, again. I'm, I'm going to try to do them regularly. Everyone says do more lives. Um, but I thank you, Sarah Hooley, for moderating. Um uh this session and i think we're set thank you everyone have a great uh weekend by the way last pitches we are running for u.s senate and we need to collect around thirty thousand to forty thousand signatures if any of you want to help us please go to our campaign shiva for senate volunteer uh, we have about 60 to 70 days to collect those signatures we need everyone's help um, we do it on our own we don't outsource it we actually are out there in the cold marie riley uh, 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 a woman who's a nurse, Marie's, I think, in her late 60s, uh, early 70s, but Marie, Marie's out there in the bitter cold collecting signatures, so are others. So I want to thank everyone. Be well. Uh, best to you and your families. Thank you.